<laughs> Net immigration alone represents a city the size of Colchester. For me, this is about democracy. It's about control and it's about consent. At the moment, what is happening is not with the consent of the British people, and the only way to achieve that is to take back control. Take back control has been the slogan of the year. Don't worry, we'll take our country back very soon. But what does it really mean? Take back control. Welcome to the final episode of this special six-part series of the weekly economics podcast that we're calling Really Take Control. As you'll have guessed, I'm not Kirsty Stiles. My name is Mark Steers, and I'm the chief executive of the New Economics Foundation. And I asked Kirsty if I could take over her hosting duties just for one week to tackle a subject which is incredibly close to my heart. Even those people who voted to leave on the basis they wanted to stop migration are not a bunch of Nazis. They're people who are terrified about what the future holds. And very often, if they saw somebody abusing a, a, a member of an ethnic migrant, they would step in to stop it. But they still have this view in their head that there's a problem with migration. So to close this mini-series, we're going to be asking, how can we combat hate and racism in British society and really take control of the agenda around migration in 2017? On the line is Nazik Ramadan, director of the migrant rights organisation Migrant Voice. Hello, Nazik. Hello, Mark. And we're joined also by John Page, who's head of organising at the anti-racism organisation Hope Not Hate. Hello, John. Hello. Thank you very much for inviting me. So first off, a question for both of you. Um, a lot of people, I think, including the government, seem to think that the British public voted to leave the European Union because people in the country wanted to take control of our borders and limit migration to the UK. Do you think that people are right that immigration was central to the EU referendum? Well, um, as we know, migration is the easiest target, really. Also, people do have genuine concerns around a number of issues, including housing, health, education and others. Uh, but uh, politicians were presenting migration as a problem and therefore reducing it as a solution as well. So they, in, you know, enforce in people's minds that uh, immigration is a problem, but also a uh, few people in the media were putting the positive arguments for migration and the contribution to the economy, which also did not help a lot. Mm. And, and John? Well, I think it's undeniable that uh, the migration element became central to the debate and, and was deliberately put centre stage by some people in the Leave uh, side. I think also we have to recognise that for, for many people in the government, immigration is a displacement activity to, to look at the immigration rather than looking at more fundamental issues. Mm. Um, so when we talk about taking back control, I think a lot of people feel that the rate of change in their lives has been really, really fast. Uh, particularly around things like the type of jobs that are available, uh, the rates to pay for them, what's happening in the housing market, all of these things feel uh, out of control. And so linking that to migration has been a very effective way of displacing the, the anger that people feel. Mm, fascinating. I mean, I think it, was, it wasn't just people on the Leave side who uh, had concerns about um, migration. I mean, we did some polling here at the New Economics Foundation of those people who had voted... Uh, remain. And I think we imagined that we were going to find that most of those people, the 48%, were sort of in favour of immigration. Uh, whereas, in fact, we, I think we discovered some rather depressing statistics that about half of that group felt roughly similar to, to Leave voters. I mean, what do you think that those kind of numbers mean 
uh, for those of us who want to de- defend the rights of migrants here in the UK. Perhaps, John, you can start us off this time. I think it's interesting that some other surveys said about those people who voted leave, about half of them were saying, but those people who are already here should be allowed to stay, which is the three million EU migrants. So I think it's, it's not as uh, sharp a divide as perhaps people would have imagined. Um, I also think it comes back to the idea that migration is a proxy issue and that people uh, have the same concerns. What is happening about the housing market? What is happening about jobs? What's happening about employment, etc.? And I think what it means is uh, if, if we want to support migrants and if we want to remain a society that we're, we're proud to live in, then we need to start going out and talking to those people who have those concerns and listening to them and actually exploring with them what the root causes of their concerns are. And Nazir, would you agree, agree with John there? Do you think that the, the sort of both concerns about migration but also sometimes more tolerant attitudes are actually distributed quite evenly amongst those people who voted remain and those people who voted leave? I mean, I do agree with John, but I also need to mention maybe the reason why people think that uh, there are too many people and the numbers is high because politicians in the past few years, the last government created, came up with the uh, cap on the net migration and then of course failing to meet that net migration cap therefore presented to the public that we have a problem it's big problem the numbers are huge and we can't control the numbers so i think it's important to uh, to understand maybe why people think the numbers are too big and there is an issue but i agree with john and and if you ask people actually most people would not want migrants to be treated badly and and they want people who are here to be treated fairly but uh, i think going forward us in the sector who are trying to, to work for the right of migrants we we need to be working for the rights of everyone all of us not just for migrants and also we need to try if we can to shift the dominant negative narratives on migration uh, uh, this narrative that blames uh, all the problems on migrants yes indeed i mean just going back to what you were st- saying to start with there do you, do you think that problem could get worse during the brexit negotiations in the sense that people have been promised all kinds of controls on their borders uh, which might not come to pass people might think that migration numbers are going to fall uh, you know down below whatever it was the government said the tens of thousands and presumably we don't expect that to happen. Do you, do you think that people could feel sort of uh, betrayed by the government during this process? Well, I mean, it depends really on why you voted to leave and how important it is for you that you, you know, you close the borders and you pull out of the of Europe altogether. I mean, some people are OK with migration and they are calling you know, they need migrants, they need uh, doctors in hospitals and nurses, they need people working in agriculture. But uh, as migrants, I think we are worried and we are concerned about our future, about, you know, our livelihoods. And as we've seen also, uh, we're worried uh, of a potential or possible uh, a new surge in hate crime against migrants by people who see them as a problem and uh, resent their, uh, their presence in the country. And John, have you seen similar rises in hate crime in the sort of post-Brexit months? Oh, there's definitely been spikes. I think those people who already had a level of race hatred in themselves have felt very emboldened by what's happened. I think that it it really is important, though, to distinguish between those people who are inherently racist and those people who are simply bought into a narrative that says blame the immigrants. Uh, And that's what we've got at the moment. I think the other problem is, you know, our, our research says that those people in really depressed communities where the economy is shot, actually for the first time feel optimistic. And they feel optimistic that immigration is going to stop Mm. and the jobs are going to come back. Now, the reality is immigration is not going to stop. I mean, 
more than half of the immigration we had pre-Brexit was from outside of Europe. The government had complete control over that and obviously chose uh, to allow it to remain at those levels. So there's no reason to believe that's going to change drastically. And secondly, you know, the jobs have gone and the problem is getting new high-quality jobs to replace them. Mm. So we've got the situation of, uh, of people being promised something which might not happen, migration numbers coming down, and, as you were both saying, sort of a surge in hate crime that comes from certain sort of racist elements in our society being emboldened by the referendum result and what it seems to have unleashed. And that seems like a very toxic, very dangerous combination. Uh, I mean, Nazik, what kind of work is Migrant Voice doing to sort of challenge both that narrative that John's talked about there, uh, but also sort of hate crime on the streets? Well, I mean, to, to challenge that narrative, of course, migrant voice, we're trying to get migrants uh, to speak for themselves, to engage with the community and to talk to the media, to tell their own stories to the media rather than let other people speak on their behalf. But uh, we have uh, launched early this week also another a campaign called Stand Together Against Hate Crime. Uh, and we, the reason we launched it, because uh, after the immediately after the referendum vote and the surge in hate crime, we were getting lots of calls from people, British people, who were very uh, angry uh, and disappointed by the, the hate crimes and who wanted to do something and they didn't know what to do. So they asked us, what can we do? At the same time, of course, we had many of our members who were uh, you know, being attacked or abused or insulted, uh, who are, you know, on the receiving end of the hate crime, not knowing where to go, how to report, what to do. Also, we have people who wanted to support victims of uh, hate crime and didn't know how to uh, how to support them. So uh, this is why we, we put this uh, campaign together. We're asking people to just uh, to take a positive action uh, and to make their voices heard and to make that stand that... Uh, Regardless of what we voted in the referendum, uh, you know, we do not tolerate uh, hate crime and, and all form of discriminations. And we felt there's a real uh, need to affirm uh, certain values, the British values that are welcome and inclusive uh, of welcome and inclusive communities. And, and John, you at Hope Not Hate have, have got a sort of similar commitment to eradicating hate crime, to eliminating racism, to making sure that this moment isn't a moment when things get much worse and more toxic, more dangerous, more intolerant. Uh, your focus, I think, is on post-industrial communities. Can you tell us a little bit about what that work is looking like? Yeah, well, it's definitely one of our focuses where we're looking at those communities where actually this this breakdown in solidarity between communities is advancing uh, the fastest, where people feel, you know, my, my life is in a mess. I have very little confidence that my children's life will have the opportunities that I, I hoped. Um, and I think it's the responsibility of uh, migrants or, or ethnic minority groups, because let's be honest, uh, people confuse the two. In these areas, people have every reason to be angry. You know, jobs, good quality jobs when a generation ago very often. Uh, the sense of identity that came with being a miner or a steel worker or working in a car plant or on the docks and so on, that, that meant that there was a, a real sense of a community identity went with the jobs. Uh, for at least a generation, there's been no effective way uh, brought forward by any government to actually bring high-quality jobs into these communities. And very often all that's happening is that uh, they'll build a shopping mall and people have the opportunity of, of a zero hours contract on a minimum wage. And in those areas, people are really angry. So what we want to do is to work with people in those areas, accepting that they've got every reason to be angry, 
by actually exploring with them what the real issues are and what the solutions are. Because once you start solving the problems of your community, you don't need someone to blame. And, and is there a danger of that kind of work ends up excusing racism by saying that, well, people, you know, they're not really uh, intolerant, they're just worried about unemployment or they're worried about what's gone on in their local economy? I mean, are you giving a free pass to people who are behaving in some appalling ways, as Nazik has described? Well, we're not giving a free pass to anyone who's involved in hate crime. Absolutely not. But if somebody comes into a community meeting and their starting point is, I think there's too many immigrants, that's why everything's gone wrong. We're not going to throw them out because we want to speak to them and explore them. Why do you think that? You think the jobs have gone because there's too many immigrants? Well, where, where are the jobs? It's not as if they're filled by immigrants. Those good quality jobs have gone. And having a discussion with people which allows them to reflect on their views and then talking to them about what do we need to do to improve this community leads to a discussion which says, do you think we need to get the Muslim community or the migrants in town involved in this campaign if we're going to win? And when people sit there think, well, I may not like migrants, but I'm going to have to work with them if we're going to win, then when you start working with people, it's actually we've got a lot in common. So, no, we're, we're not going to excuse racism, but we're not going to throw people out of the room just because we don't agree with their views. And, and Nazir, would you, would you agree with John there that, that it's possible to bring together some migrant communities and non-migrant communities in sort of new uh, efforts to tackle local problems and, and in that way generate a sense of more in common or, or, or greater solidarity again? I mean, absolutely, absolutely. We really, you know, people do have uh, genuine concerns and we need to take people's concerns, gen you know, seriously. And we need to have this real conversation about those concerns, as John said, why they're worried and etc. And yes, uh, it's about communities coming together uh, to work, you know, for what they have in common, for the rights of everyone. And from our experience, it always works when you bring uh, communities uh, together they do uh, talk and engage and they develop a good relationship areas with the where there are lots of migrants and people engage together they're not worried about migration migration was not seen as a, a top concern for them while we've seen areas where there's very uh, few migrants uh, there they are more worried about migration so it does work when you bring people together uh, to engage together and to discuss issues that you know important to all the community and so both of you have got quite, uh, I mean, uh, coming to the end of our conversation, you've got both quite an optimistic vision that it is possible to rebuild sort of bonds of trust and solidarity in communities, give people a sense of shared hope and overcome the potential divisions which uh, we've seen, you know, sort of exacerbated so badly in the aftermath of the referendum. I mean, perhaps to close, you could both share us, you know, I know there are some people who will be listening who will say, well, it sounds nice, but it's a bit sort of pie in the sky. It's not really like that. You know, racism is more endemic. The problems are deeper. We're not actually going to be able to do the sort of community-oriented work I've heard you both talking about. I mean, how would you persuade the sceptic that it really is possible to overcome the divisions that confront us so you know, dramatically on our TV screens or on our radio phone-ins today? Well, I'll start off by saying I, I'm not necessarily a, a great optimist at this moment in time. I'm actually terrified. I think the country is its a, a real potential turning point where things could get incredibly bad. Um, so I'm terrified. 
But I think what we do have is a strategy that says if we go out and talk to people about their concerns and people identify they've got shared concerns, the same thing is happening to people in different communities, then we can build the basis uh, for working together. Some of the sceptics, well, look, if, you, if, if, if you've got some better idea, that's fine. Um, what, what we think is that the people who are actually suffering the most are the people who've got the most to gain from finding solutions and abandoning the blame game that's been published at the moment. Just just one example, really, is um, we had a more in common weekend uh, a couple of months ago, just after the referendum, and uh, in Brixton, there was a group of people came together and they said, what can we do? And they said, we're in Lambeth, which voted highest to remain in the whole country. Let's find the town that voted the highest to leave, and they'd twin with them, uh, in terms of sharing ideas and the experience of multiculturalism. So they found that Boston uh, in Lincolnshire was the place that voted the most uh, to leave. And they've had a twinning project there. And there's a hu huge uh, Boston Hope Not Hate group now. Um, and it's made up of people who voted to leave, as well as people who made, voted to remain. Probably about 50-50. And they're really excited about finding out about the experience of what, what Lambeth is like, that, you know, a heart of multicultural Britain is something that they just don't know about and they're really keen to find out. So there's, there's lots going on. Um, even those people who voted to leave on the basis they wanted to stop migration are not a bunch of Nazis goose-stepping down the high street. They're people who are terrified about what the future holds. And very often, if they saw somebody abusing a, a, a member of an ethnic migrant, they would step in to stop it but they still have this view in their head that there's a problem with migration. Great stuff. And Nazik, what's your source of, if you're looking for optimism, if you're looking for you know, some sign that things can improve from where they've been in this you know, really difficult, really terrible year, where, where, where do you find your inspiration? Well, I, I mean, also it sounds doom and gloom. There are some, of course, uh, positive stuff coming out and there are lots of people who are coming. Uh, let's look, for example, the uh, well, Refugees Welcome Movement. It came in the middle when all the politicians were talking about, oh, too many people coming and we don't want them, we can't cope. And uh, But at the same time, you saw people actually on the streets coming out and supporting uh, refugees. So the, we have seen lots of positive examples and also with our campaign stand together. We've see, we have seen so many people across the country actually are taking part in it, people from different backgrounds coming together to say no to hate crime and we should respect each other and live together. Like John, we're also worried of what's going to happen during the negotiations, no one knows, but at least we need to be open up to dialogue, to conversation, to try and to work with the communities that maybe try to have this discussion about their concerns and bring people around common and shared values and goals. But we also really need uh, uh, leadership, uh, political leadership. We need people, you know, to, to, uh, who divided the country to bring them back, to unite them. And also, of course, there are lots of things you need to address people's concerns. Uh, and maybe one of them, one example is maybe reintroducing the Migration Impact, Impact Fund, which the government introduced many years ago, then it stopped it, at least to help some of those areas where uh, they were struggling before and they have a few migrants coming to the area and they feel maybe there's some pressure on them and they're not benefiting really from uh, the income, the net income that migration bring. So, you know, sometimes some initiative like this uh, could also help, but also lo maybe long-term plan, investment in education and training and uh, etc. you know, investing in the future workforce if you want. But you still right now, if your hospital need, need doctors, then you need to get doctors, you need to get nurses uh, and you need the talent from outside the country you cannot just really shut completely shut, shut the door so we need to have this conversation uh, with people 
Uh, absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for joining us to discuss this incredibly important but very difficult topic. It, I think you've both made the point uh, unbelievably strongly that it's a defining year ahead of us. Um, you know, we've had an economy that hasn't worked for so many people for so long that has been driven uh, into sort of inequality that people have felt excluded from. That's bubbled up in the worst possible ways in the attacks on migrants and race hate crime. And I think all of us here share the sense that in order to turn that around, uh, we've got to start, you know, some really hard work and we've got to start today and we've got to start thinking about what a more hopeful future and what more hopeful 2017 can look like. Thank you so much, John. And thank you, Novik. Thank you. And thanks to you all for listening to our mini-series on our new Agenda for Change here at the New Economics Foundation. We've been looking at all the different ways in which we can really take control of our environment, of our working lives, of our housing, of our coastal communities, and now of the future of the debate on migration. I hope you've been as inspired as I've been about what remains possible, even in these incredibly difficult times. And I hope you'll also forgive me for abusing my presenter duties with just a little plug. Part of the reason we invited John onto this episode is that the New Economics Foundation has a new partnership with Hope Not Hate. We're coming together to do that work in post-industrial communities, to do all we can to bring migrant and non-migrant communities together to rebuild hope in the future. What we need, of course, is support to enable us to do it. With a donation of £15 to the New Economics Foundation, you can enable that work to get started and help to make 2017 so much better a year than 2016 has been. So I hope you can go to neweconomics.org now and drop us that donation. Thanks ever so much. So thank you once again for listening to our Really Take Control mini-series. If you've missed any of it, you can find all the previous episodes on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Kirsty will be back on Boxing Day, yes, Boxing Day, with a weekly economics podcast Christmas special to wrap up our year. So do tune in then. 